Welcome into 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I am your host, Drew Creaseman, and as always, I'm excited to be talking Colorado Rockies baseball with you here on the show. And I've got a bit of a state of the Colorado Rockies front office conversation that we've been meaning to have for a little while now, haven't we? And now that the trade deadline has come and gone, and we've seen a bit of how the Rockies intend to behave post-trade deadline, I thought it was a good time to come and have a conversation about where we, or I suppose I, (laughs) feel how, how I would grade them out in terms of their front office at this point. Because as most of you listening to this know, I try not to make every conversation about the front office, about ownership, about the big philosophical things, right? Sometimes, and I am going to do a little bit more of this today, but right, sometimes you, you've just got to talk about, well, CJ Crone and Randall Gritchick go out, Jake Madden and Mason Albright come in. What does that look like on paper? How does it match up? You've got to be able to have those conversations, right? But yes, there are times when it is appropriate, when it's necessary to take the bigger step back and say, okay, has anything changed since the Jeff Breidich era? Is this team taking any steps in the right direction? For anyone who wants to have that conversation in earnest and not simply throw up your hands and say, well, it's the Rockies, so no matter how it looks, it's, always, it's going to be bad no matter what. We're going to dive into that here today. I do want to begin a little bit though with that first thing like I was talking about. You know me, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to always have that bias toward let's look at the nitty gritty specifics uh, before that. And I did breakdowns of the Mike Moustakis trade, the Pierce Johnson trade, and the Cronin Gritchick trades when those all went down. But there were two things that happened after the last time I spoke with you all that I've not yet broken down uh, in specifics. The first one was trading Brad Hand to Atlanta for Alec Barger, a 25, or Barger, I'm not sure. Uh, I've heard it pronounced both ways uh, by people who I think are a little more tuned in. I've heard Barger, so I should probably go with that. Uh, 25-year-old righty, six foot two, just over 200 pounds, at least according to fan graphs. Sometimes the uh, the weight can be a little bit behind depending on you know what a guy's done with his body lately, but uh, with some really interesting numbers out there that are actually just kind of across the board indicative of the type of pitcher that the Rockies picked up here. So remember, it's a grand total of seven guys, right? Five players out, all of them on expiring contracts. Seven players have come in. Uh, This was the last one to come in for a player. Alec Barger has monster strikeout numbers throughout the minor leagues. Uh, In his rookie season, Back in 2019, when rookie ball still existed as a level, at age 21, he started 13 games, pitched 40 innings, 9.68 strikeouts per nine, which is really, really good, to only 360 walks per. Well, only, I say, that's the walks are, that's kind of on the high end of okay or good or or acceptable at 360, right? Once you start getting into the fours, that's pretty high walk rate, which is where he spent most of the rest of his career. Uh, but the strikeout numbers have also gone way up. So next year uh, that he would play, now remember all these guys missed 2020. So 2021, A-ball, 30 games, but only six starts. So he's made the transition now to being a reliever, 60 innings pitched, 11.85 strikeouts per nine. Elite. 
elite stuff. No matter what level you're playing in, that's a lot of striking dudes out. But walking 465. So he's got a 450 ERA at A ball because he's walking way too many guys. He was also home run prone that year, giving up just over a home run per nine innings. You really want that to be under one to be in a good spot at, at the very least, right? So the next season, though, he goes up to high A. Doesn't start anymore, so now he's full-time reliever at age 24. Pitches 49 innings. The strikeout numbers go up even higher to 12.59 per. Again, monster numbers. But four walks per nine. And the home run rate still right around, just under now at, at 0.9 per. But still a little bit higher than you want for home runs and walks together, especially those two things together, right? And at Coors Field, that's just a recipe for disaster. Walking guys and then being home run prone. Like, you'll lose a lot of otherwise well-pitched ball games on just that, right? So 438 ERA. So nothing jumping off the page at you at the minor league level, I guess other than those big strikeouts. So he keeps working up through Atlanta system. They move him up to double A this year. 2023, where he's been for this season at age 25, like I said, 38 innings pitched, 11.27 Ks per nine. Still a huge number, but the walk rate has gone back up to 4.93, nearly five walks per nine innings, which is just way, way, way too high. Now he's getting away with it this year because he's not giving up the home run ball. He's cut it in half. He's given up 0.47 home runs per nine. So cut that rate in half, and your ERA goes down to 329, which is a very acceptable number in a double-A. Now, 25 years old at double-A is a little bit old for the level. So that's why this guy's not jumping off the page as a top prospect, right? But as we talked about all throughout spring training and the beginning of the year, this is exactly the type of guy you were likely targeting in these types of trades. And as I've said many, many times, the Rockies need an army of these guys, and now they basically have them. It is interesting to me that... Five of the seven pitchers they got have really high strikeout rates and really high walk rates. That obviously can be a thing when you've got wicked stuff as a younger player and honing that. You know, do, do the Rockies believe that they've got the guys, the, the, the coaches who can, you know, hone in on some of this command and control? And I, I know people tend not to credit the Rockies. Uh, development at the minor league levels very much, but they have had a better track record over the last five, six, seven years with guys like Kyle Freeland, Armand Marquez, John Gray coming through the system. They're not always all going to be winners, and obviously there have been some that haven't worked out. But it is interesting to me that they almost all fit that profile, with the exception of Mason Albright, who's the youngest one so far, so he's got plenty of time to develop command issues. But actually, he, he seems pretty locked in as a 21-year-old lefty, uh, and I, or I, I think he's just 20, excuse me, 20-year-old lefty. Very young player. They got there uh, probably the furthest away, um, but so far he hasn't exhibited a ton of command issues. I should note that Alec Barger has made uh, or Barger, I'll, I'll, I'll get it locked in, don't worry, <laughs> has made uh, one start for the Yard Goats, pitching an inning, giving up two hits, an earned run. It was a homer, and he walked a guy, but he also got his strikeout. So 
gave you the full experience in one inning so far, right? And and you just you're curious to see. But at 25 and with the big strikeout stuff and with the issues that the Rockies had in their pen, if they do start to see some big steps forward in the command department, I wouldn't be surprised. Or even if not, just to see what happens. Uh, if we even see him this year, if not, he would be a, a good candidate to be battling for a spot uh, out of the gates next year. Uh, again, it all depending on whether or not his, his command is just all over the place or not. Somebody that I expect to see relatively soon, though, would be Justin Brule. The last thing that they did at the deadline that I haven't discussed yet, which was uh, cash, just cash for. So the Dodgers DFA, Justin Brule, you go through that process, you can claim him off of waivers, and then you've got time to work out a trade. Rockies just go with cash considerations and end up picking up a lefty with some pretty good numbers here. Now, he is the oldest player that they acquired uh, during this season of trading at 26 years old, so he's not an old man by any means, and he's still uh, essentially a rookie. Uh, you know, well, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go with sophomore. I'll give him sophomore. He has 66 innings pitched at the major league level, so that's a good, solid season of work for a reliever. Uh, he did kind of spread that ac across a little bit of time uh, with L.A. So back in 2021, uh, only pitched 18 innings for him, but a 289 ERA. Uh, not huge numbers on the peripherals either way. 5.3 strikeouts per, which isn't huge, but 337 walks per, which you can live with. Uh, right, and then he gets a little bit of time in 2022, uh, another 23 innings, and a 380 ERA. Uh, again, not huge strikeout numbers, 494, very, very low, but 228 uh, on the walking guys. So he's not walking people, not getting huge strikeouts. He's the one kind of outside, <laughs> I was just saying, everyone they got at the deadline fits this one um, sort of profile. Now, I will say earlier in his minor league careers, he had he did have big uh, strikeout numbers. He had, uh, for example, with uh, the AAA Dodgers back in 21, 22 innings pitch, 11.9 Ks per to only 2.7 Walks per so his and and the highest his minor league ERA ever was was 380 or maybe even 368 depending on well that was a small sample size too uh, so you, you just don't have any time here where he's been particularly uh, run prone other than this year with the Dodgers when they let him go 24 innings pitched the strikeout numbers higher than they've ever been at the major league level seven per. Uh, the walk rate just under three per at 296. The ERA 407. That's but that's the worst he's been. Uh, and you know I understand the Dodgers are deep enough that they don't necessarily need a, a player like that. But he's absolutely a guy I could see, especially. And you never know from a mentality standpoint. That's going to be one of those things that's true of all of these guys that you just kind of have to find out. And why I think the Rockies need to attack the problem the way that they have here, which is by numbers. Because not all these guys are going to have uh, the physical tools to make it and, and wouldn't necessarily have made it anywhere. And not all of them are going to have the mental skills to be able to overcome the challenges at Coors Field. I mean, it's possible they all do, but that would be stunning if all seven of these guys worked out. Just the law of numbers and just the history of baseball says that's unlikely, right? But that's why I think, you know, I'm so kind of jazzed on what the Rockies did here because I think I would ultimately you know give them a B plus to an A minus it's not an A plus trade deadline 
for the sole reason that there were one or two more deals that I feel like were probably out there that they probably could have made. That's always a tough thing to say, right? Because you don't know what other teams are offering. But it seemed to me like there were a few other things. And I would also at this point more or less just like to see them DFA Harold Castro and Jerks and Profar. I appreciate the attempt there. Um, I especially now that Brendan Rodgers is back, uh, you know, and you don't have to do it immediately again with the DFA, like I was just talking about with Justin Brule, there's the opportunity or the possibility that somebody might. I think with Castro, there's that possibility. With Profar, there's just too much money left on the deal. I don't think anyone wants him for the rest of this season and he's gonna be a free agent anyway. It's not a make or break thing, but it's still kind of one of those deals where it's like, yeah, just go all out with playing the young guys. And for the most part, they have. It's just weird to see Jerks and Profar in there still batting lead off every day. It's like, like, but the young guys are playing, so okay. Uh, but, you know, could they have also maybe moved Brent Suter? You leave that open for the future because if they do bring him back, and they can manage to be decent next year. Like, Suter's a great fit for this team in a lot of ways, and he is one of those guys who mentally can handle the challenge of this place. And so, and now, I, so here's where we're gonna start getting into the, the big philosophical picture, and I'll start by just finishing that point I was making, right? I know a lot of people, when they think about rebuilds and buying and selling, and particularly with the Rockies, it's easy for that part of your brain to set in and say, well, they're not going to be good for two or three or four years. So you got you got to get rid of anybody who's not going to be around three or four years from now, right? You get that many years ahead. And I just try to remind folks and, and or ask, you know, earnestly, in 2015, at the trade deadline, when the Rockies moved Troy Tulowitzki, did you think, Oh yeah, two years from now, this team's going to back-to-back postseasons. Most people didn't. I didn't even really, and I was super high on the farm system at the time. I was doing most of my work in Grand Junction back out in those days, and I was seeing close-up firsthand John Gray, Trevor Story, David Dahl, Ryan McMahon, those guys who were coming through who would ultimately, Kyle Freeland, you know, make a, a, a big difference. And, you know, we, we don't know the Rockies clearly have been very public and I think very upfront about saying, we're not doing the multi-year tank thing, we're not doing the multi-year rebuild thing, we're not doing the lose a bunch of games on purpose thing. Understanding the concept that they're gonna take another run at it this off season probably and try to get better and build toward being better for next year, I wouldn't be shocked if they do try to re-sign a player like Brent Suter even if that's typically seen as one of the things you do as the last part of a building team, not one of the first parts, right? Now, of course, all of that has to be matched up with like dramatic overhauls in the starting pitching department. I have no idea what they're going to do there. And if they intend on spending money on starting pitching, then we're all in for another fun, weird, difficult, potentially, era of of Rockies baseball. They're, you know, if they can make some more interesting trades in the offseason, there's a lot of stuff up in the air about what do they intend to do next, right? But we know they're not ever going to commit to being bad on purpose for two or three years in a row. And so that's why 
I understand holding on to players like Suter, Bard. Obviously, as we've always talked about, Charlie Blackman was just a completely different category altogether. I don't think anybody listening to this ever expected Charlie, especially with him hurt, for anything to happen there, right? Other stuff, it's it's hard to see how they could have done a whole lot better at this trade deadline given what they have. Again, I know a lot of people want to go back to last year's deadline or the one before and make it about that and say, well, why didn't they do X, Y, or Z? But when we hone in on what happened here, I think Bill Schmidt did about as well as he possibly could have given the state of the Rockies roster, getting what he needed to get, which was all pitching at a variety of ages. So you've got guys like Brule and Barger and Tanner Gordon, who we've talked about before, who are all 25 or 26 years old. Uh, with Brule, you've got some big league experience. So those are guys who are on the cusp, who can maybe give you some immediate, whether it's just relief for the fact that it's been a brutal year injury-wise from a pitching standpoint. And, uh, you know, and you're also kind of having open tryouts for next season a little bit and see who can help help you out and help turn it around maybe a little bit more quickly. But then you also have these guys with wicked stuff, but the red flags of the walks who are going to be longer term projects, but could eventually uh, be big pieces for you. You've got guys who are going to fit into the bullpen here, guys who are going to be fighting for rotation spots. In the grand scheme, the most exciting players are the ones who are the biggest question marks to me. It's as I mentioned, the youngster, Mason Albright, who's 20 years old but already has a profile that I really like and already has a an above-average Major League curveball, according to the scouts who put out that kind of thing. Uh, and then there's Victor Vodnik, who, you know, has the best obvious, like, jump-out-at-you skill of any of these guys with a 70-grade fastball on the 20-80 to 80 scale and an above-average changeup. It's getting massive whiff rates. Even Bill Schmidt, when asked, singled him out as, as a potential star player among this group, which I thought was interesting because normally, uh, you know, I shouldn't say normally, the previous GM, I should say, would have completely sidestepped a question like that. And Bill Schmidt came out and said, yeah, I think Vodnik maybe has a chance with that electric fastball to, to really be something special. I like the profile of Jake Madden with the potential to have three above average pitches. You know, I've seen a lot of guys come in here with one super elite pitch and do okay. Uh, but I've also some, seen some guys come in with that and, and not do so great, right? Brian Shaw's cutter, Wade Davis's cutter. Uh, you know, John Gray was only able to get so far with the fastball and slider that were elite at times, but over his career here got less and less effective. Uh, and, and they're there are pitch mix guys who have been very successful with some of the most famous, of course, being Jorge De La Rosa, Aaron Cook, Jeff Francis, those types of guys, right? So again, you, you want a mix of those. So with Vodnik, you've got, hey man, maybe it's fastball changeup and they're so good that he can just blow guys away with that stuff. And so you've got an opportunity at an elite skill guy, but with Jake Madden, it's a fastball changeup slider, none of which are elite, but all of which may be... Uh, look to pan out to be above average and if he's got pitchability right a fancy word for a, a, a smart thinky brain for knowing what pitches to select when how his stuff works for being able to read hitters responses uh, to his stuff 
and play off of that, if he's got a certain degree of pitchability, he could be a really good pitcher. So we don't know, obviously, right? That's one of the things about prospects, especially in baseball, is you really, really don't know. That's one of the reasons why I've enjoyed so much doing the historical context. Again, cheap plug for the YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe to Mile High Sports on YouTube and checking those ones out. But you, you do the history, you know, and you go back and you see these trades that everybody thought it was about Tyler Colvin and Ian Stewart, but it was really about DJ LeMayhew, or everybody thought it was about Jake McGee and Corey Dickerson, but it turned out to be about Armand Marquez, right? And so we're, we might be sitting here today going, well, Victor Vodnik's got the 70 fastball. He's going to be a star player, but then it turns out that, you know, this Alec Barger thing, it just clicks for him for whatever reason, and he becomes the Rockies' next closer. You know, uh, who knows? But it's all going to be really fascinating to see play out. At the very least, from a process standpoint, it's difficult to criticize anything that the Rockies actually did. Right? You can say they could have done more, which is always going to be the case. There's always going to be more they could have done. And you can go back to last year and say, well, they should have traded Crone sooner, right? They should have traded Gritchick. So, so but actually, no, Gritchick was at his highest value now. Um, beyond that, it's very difficult. So as we take that other step back and, and look at what Bill Schmidt has done now in really his second full season. Remember that first year was so chaotic and wild and he had inherited a team that had just traded Nolan Arenado or whatever. As everyone listening to this knows, Last year, last time round, he didn't get nothing for Trevor Story. It's not what happened. Got a draft pick, use it on Sterling Thompson, who's now the eighth or ninth rated prospect in the Rockies system, depending on when you're looking <laughs> and, and where. But while I don't think you can sit here and say, aha, they finally did it. Therefore, the Rockies are a brand new team. Everyone give them the benefit of the doubt all the time. Of course, nobody would be saying that. I'm sure I'll be accused of saying that, but whatever. In the grand scheme of things, you do have to give credit where it's due. I've heard people use the phrase baby steps. I like that one, baby steps in the right direction, right? But for Bill Schmidt in particular, I do think this was a clear indication that he's got his focus, right? These are clearly players that matched a profile that he liked with, and remember he was a scout for a long time, right? He was the, the head of the scouting department. So he's got his eye for the young players that he likes. We'll see if they pan out or not. Uh, and a clear recognition that it wasn't working this year. And you know, whether it was Jeff Breidich or Dick Monfort in the past, and none of us are in those rooms, and so it's really just speculation when people get into all that stuff. But whatever it was, something has changed. Whether it's changed permanently, whether it's changed enough, well, that's what remains to be seen. That's why you'll have to keep tuning into shows like this and why it's going to have to continue to be an ongoing conversation. But I don't think anyone who's being a fair observer of what Bill Schmidt has done so far could earnestly say, well, it's exactly the same as it was before. You know, Dick Monfort still calling all the shots. I've never believed that Dick Monfort was ever calling all of the shots. The thing there is that he tends to get involved in the big stuff, which then tends to impact everything else, right? 
But things like this, this was Bill Schmidt's trade deadline. He executed the plan he intended to execute, and then he came out and told us exactly that. And the one big difference from a media person perspective that I can say with certainty, watching him, that we didn't get from the previous guy is that Bill Schmidt will come to us, answer questions about what he intends to do in specifics. He'll say, I think the offense needs more power, and I think specifically we need to get it in the outfield, and I think we need some star power. And then he'll go and he'll sign Chris Bryant. And he go, well, he did what he said he was going to do. He said they needed to get more pitching. He said that they were going to be active at the trade deadline. And a lot of people out there totally dismissed it. And I think at the very least, if Bill Schmidt has earned anything with how he's handled his business in front of us publicly with his statements to the press, he hasn't lied to us once. He's been very upfront with what he said he's intending to do with the team. Whether you agree or not is obviously going to be another thing. You, you can, we can all scream till we're blue in the face. You don't need these veterans. You didn't need to sign Jurek some pro far. Just run with the kids do commit to maybe a couple of years if that's you know the, the the plan you want but whatever it is at the very least he's coming out and saying yes i targeted pitching i wanted young pitching we needed more pitching in our farm system uh, i knew these guys were on expiring contracts some of them even admitted like that they knew that there was a possibility when they signed guys like Mustakis and pierce johnson that they might have to move them you know just a, a level of transparency we didn't get before. And then again, I, I often hear fans and media people say this. Just want to know that there's a plan down there. I think Bill Schmidt has made it clear he's got a plan. Whether it's going to work, whether we like it, again, that's why we have the conversations. We'll, we'll debate. We'll, we'll continue to do that as we go forward here. But there's no way to look at this and not see very clearly a direction, a purpose, and an execution of that direction and purpose. Now he's just got to keep it going. You got to build on this. The baby steps got to turn into baby crawling, got to turn into baby running, got to turn into, you know, the next era. And then, because I've been nostalgic this morning talking with some people about it as I released the video, I did the trade of Armand Marquez, right? Some of the trades that ended up being really important to that team, like the DJ LeMahieu and Armand Marquez trades, we didn't know at the time they were going to be that important to that team. But then we all know how that fell apart, right? How that era will always be defined by what it could have been. And so, to my mind, Bill Schmidt has two massive difficult tasks in front of him. One of which I think he probably can achieve, which is the first one, which is to essentially do what Jeff Breidich did. <laughs> you know, create a, a small window largely out of internal candidates. And I think they've got the farm system to be able to do that in the next couple of years. But then the real trick, and I have no idea if he can pull this off so far, nobody here has managed to do it is to build around that core, is to not let that potential go to waste, is to turn a, a potential valuable core of young players 
into a team that can compete for four or five or six years, even if they're not World Series contenders, if they're getting into the postseason with regularity, playing good you know, baseball you can be proud of, instead of stuff you're kind of embarrassed by sometimes, which is how it's been this year, and I get it, right? But I think there's enough assets here now and then a couple more things, and yeah, in, in a few years, just like 17 and 18, probably felt like they came out of nowhere. 2007 to 2010 felt like it came out of nowhere with the team being awful before that. In a year or two, I think that's going to happen again. But the real challenge in front of Bill Schmidt, in my mind, is that when that does start to happen, that you pull some of the right levers and triggers and you make the moves and you really bring in the talent to keep it together for a while because Rockies fans deserve that. So I think he's got his eyes in the right place. He said, B plus, if that's what you're looking for. All right, thank you for listening in to this episode of 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. Make sure you're checking out all of the written content over at milehighsports.com. And as I mentioned earlier, that you are subscribed to the Mile High Sports YouTube channel. Also, Instagram and TikTok and all those things. We're doing lots of cool, fun media stuff, as it were, over there on the social medias. So make sure you're following Mile High Sports everywhere and just continuing to be absolutely awesome out there. You know that I will continue to be absolutely Drew Creaseman in here. And until next time, I will see you at the ball.